It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to Locked On MLB Prospects. I hope you enjoyed the first episode, which was a look at MLB's top five prospects. Today, we get a chance to talk to one of the best power hitting prospects in all of the minor leagues. That's Griffin Conine. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview because we get deep into the details of hitting, the details of his swing that he's been working on, talk about his breakout season in Lansing. And when we talk about it, you're going to say, wow, it doesn't sound like you're talking about a breakout season because he sets really high standards for himself. So we picked apart what on paper looks like a really good season. He hit 280 something with 22 bombs and a 900 OPS. He led the Midwest League in home runs after missing 50 games to start the season. And he still did not feel like he had a great year. So we're going to talk about his struggles with the swing and misses, how he's working to cut down on those strikeouts and how he's really had this hitting epiphany in his own backyard during quarantine. If his name sounds familiar, his father also played in the big leagues for nearly 20 years, won a couple World Series with the Marlins, Jeff Conine, talk about how he helps Griffin with the mental side of the game and is his hitting buddy in the backyard. If you like to hear about the art of hitting and the details that go into it, you're really going to enjoy this episode. Griffin's also a really honest and candid interview, which makes it a lot more fun because you really get to learn what goes into the mind of a prospect, especially when you think he feels great after having a great season, but really felt that he needed to make some big adjustments, and he has. And you can see the video on Twitter, which I will put up on there, where you can get a good look at some of the videos from before and after and some of the changes that we were talking about in the episode to kind of match the video with what you're hearing if it's getting a little hard to picture because he does get pretty detail-oriented with his swing, and it was pretty cool to talk to him about that. It's going to be a two-part episode first part today. You can expect the second part tomorrow, and I really hope you enjoy it because there's going to be a lot more interviews on the way with a lot more really intriguing prospects that you won't want to miss hearing from. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them that Locked On sent you. Also by Postmates, which has been a huge help during this crazy time, but just in general, I am always trying to figure out what my next meal is going to be, and Postmates makes it so much easier. I don't have to just aimlessly drive around and see which restaurant catches my eye. Now I can just scroll through my phone, see which one of my favorite restaurants is available on Postmates, order it, and they'll deliver it to my door. Contact-free delivery, which is really important right now too, especially when you don't want to go to restaurants for the exact reason of trying to limit your exposure to people. And best of all, Postmates is offering $100 in free delivery credit for your first seven days. All you have to do is download the Postmates app, create an account, and use the promo code Locked On. That's one word, Locked On, for $100 in free delivery credit through your first seven days. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Post made it. Without further ado, here is Griffin Conine for part one of the two-part interview. And I'm joined by former Blue Jays second-round pick and outfielder in the J system, Griffin Conine. Griff, thanks for joining me. Uh, we've been talking about this for a while. Now I finally 
got the prospect show going and I'm glad that you can be my first guest on this. Yeah, very, very honored to be the, uh, the debut. <laughs> so we're going to talk about a lot of things. We talked about it off the air about how much we want to get into the intricacies of hitting is something that you've really grown to appreciate as you've played pro ball. Right. And this is something now in this time that's been so crazy, you know, what have you been doing to stay fresh? Kind of tell everybody because you know, you're, when you're not part of the taxi squad right now in that extended roster, you're kind of on your own, right? That's a fair assessment to say with everything going on right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a super weird time, you know, for any minor league player, um, just because you really are on your own and uh, there's nothing they can do um, except, you know, we have tedious phone calls, you know, weekly, biweekly of just, uh, you know, check-ins where in my situation, literally nothing has changed since March 21st, the first day I was home um, from spring training. You know, it's, it's been the exact same. So those, those get a bit tedious, but um, yeah, literally it's just uh, finding anything you can do with your current situation to um, prepare yourself for whenever it is we play again. So I've been doing my best to do that. So this was, you know, a big year for you to make a jump through the minor leagues, you know, as you're talking about had a good year last year, and we're going to get into your development through the minor leagues, because I think what you will explain is probably different than what people would take away from looking at the numbers. And that's why I think these interviews are so important because the numbers really don't always tell the whole story. So you started in Vancouver and it was a little bit slow out of the gate, but that's a natural adjustment from college to pro ball. Uh, you start to settle in a little bit and then you get a late start in Lansing and you got off to a really hot start there, but you were talking about it with me. You were striking out a little bit and you didn't feel too great in Lansing, even though you led the league in home runs starting 50 games late. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, I really didn't, you know, I, I, I did start off really well and, um, you know, that was, uh, great, obviously, you know, getting up there and I was super nervous just about, you know, playing my first game that counts in a while. Um, so be able to start off really hot was great, but, uh, at the same time, you know, um, I think the, the strikeouts were only, uh, were only sidelined for those first couple weeks and then they kind of started to mount up again. And, uh, I just kind of lost control of, um, you know, being able to put the ball in play consistently and, and uh, would kind of succumb to just, you know, really bad strikeout streaks where it could be, you know, two or three games where, um, where I'm not putting the ball in play. You know, we had a, I had a 7K in a row streak at one point. Uh, I remember that fondly because a soft ground ball to second base was a godsend and I was thrilled about that. Um, so just things like that where the season gets pretty, uh, pretty grueling and, um, Tough to tough to get out of those slumps when you know a big change is kind of necessary and you don't have time during the season to do that. So uh, I was just kind of putting band-aids on the swing as much as I could throughout the year, to try to hold it together, knowing that uh, you know there was going to be kind of a a big change coming in the off season. Well, that's what I'm excited to get into because I purposely jumped from what you're doing now to starting back into that season in Lansing. There's obviously a lot of good things that came out of that. The fact that you were able to hit 22 home runs, you know, you don't do that by accident, but the strikeouts has always been, you know, that that's the one kind of drawback or criticism when people try to downplay, I guess, what you were able to do in a ball and really your first, not even full season and getting that late start and still being able to hit the ground running. It seems almost backwards that you started hot after jumping into the middle of a season and then kind of slowed down. What do you think 
caused that where you needed to put the band-aids on the swing after starting so well? Was it some of the league adjusting to you realizing like, Hey, this, this kid's a legitimate power threat. Or did you just start to develop some bad habits and feel like you just started to lose your comfort in the box? I would say it's a combination of both uh, for sure. I think um, the moves that I'd worked on and extended that year, um, I got them as, as good as they could be, I guess I should say, um, for, for where my swing was at that point. So I'd gotten it really, really down. Um, and it was all just timing. You know, the first two weeks I was really on time and all the movements, because there was a lot of moving parts uh, in the swing that I was trying to um, time up all at once, you know, and, and I think the timing was really good for the first two weeks or three weeks, you know, and, and started off really hot. And then, um, yeah, I mean, pitchers obviously are going to adjust to you. That was part of it. And just uh, kind of some of the moves breaking down and, um, you know, over time, just not being as, as clean as they were in the beginning. So uh, going to the off season just definitely was looking on trying to make a swing that had fewer moves and more efficient ones, you know, that I could repeat more consistently. And I want to be clear, we're being pretty harsh right now. And it's just because it was something that I know you wanted to get into because of how many adjustments you've made in this time off. And it's actually been beneficial for you as, as we'll talk about, but the fact of the matter is even with the strikeouts, you led the league in home runs, like I said, starting 50 games late, and you still hit 280. So the, the fact of the matter was you were either striking out or getting a hit. It could be worse. So you were saying a ground ball to second was like a godsend, but you still had a great year. And that's an example of, you know, the standard you set for yourself. You, you have high expectations and you're not going to just settle for 22 home runs if you're punching out at a rate you're not comfortable with. And that's something that I think if you're a Blue Jays fan or just someone that wants to see you do well in general, whether it's a Blue Devils fan or anything, that should be encouraging for them. And I want to talk about some of those adjustments that you've made because you went from Vancouver to Lansing and that was your quote unquote breakout for what people looked at it as. And that was that power that people saw when, you know, they drafted you in the second round. But for you, you were still feeling off at the end of the season and you were relieved when it was over. And then you go back to Instructs now getting ready for this year before, of course, COVID and all of this happened, getting geared up for another season. How were you feeling after that offseason and during or during that offseason after Lansing? Um, yeah, so the offseason was interesting just because um, I don't think I really knew uh, what changes specifically I had to make or what I wanted. My, you know, I had no idea. Yeah, I was kind of I was kind of starting from scratch. You know, I was obviously like the first first few weeks that I start hitting again after the off season um, starts to uh, hit, you know, November, December. Um, I pretty much started from where I left off in Lansing. That was kind of just, you know, the first place to start and then um, tried a lot of different things, you know, over the course of, of the off season, just anything that could um, kind of make me be more consistent and, and more um, have better barrel awareness and, and feel like I can get into a good position every time. Um, and still, even, even, even by the time I got to spring training, I was still kind of just scratching the surface of, um, some of the changes I wanted to, to make and, um, still didn't really know what that was going to look like or what that meant. Um, and, uh, Hunter Mentz, honestly, has, has been a huge, huge asset to have. He's the Blue Jays, a uh, minor league hitting coordinator, um, does a really good job and, and just really knows, uh, swings in general and just how they work. And, um, he's been working with me a lot just about, um, a lot of different things, but his, his main, um, his main, uh, you know, 
what he preaches the most is just uh, efficiency. You know, if you can have the most efficient barrel path and uh, you can kind of see the pitch as long as possible, you know, you don't, you don't have to start your swing as early if you have less moving parts and um, less, you know, less to worry about. So uh, we kind of worked off that and just kind of deconstructed the swing that way and took out parts and be like, how, how late can you start your swing and still be on time, you know, for, for a 95 mile hour fastball. So that's kind of where we started. And then um, what branched off from there was kind of, uh, you know, it just, just kind of happened. Well, you, you brought up this, this word, the word timing quite frequently here. And that's a, an important trend with the adjustments you've made hitting wise. And you also have said in the past that the instructs might've been close to your low point in your professional career, right? Which is crazy after the year you had in Lansing, you, even though, you know, we were talking about it wasn't up to your standards. You'd feel like you were trending upwards after that season from that point. But um, you, you said that that was maybe the most loss you'd felt, right? I mean, Prospects Live put that, put that video on your birthday from you at Instructs. That was Instructs, right, where you just swung no, in? No, yeah. So that was, that was actually extended before Lansing. Oh, okay. That was yeah. before Lansing. Yeah, yeah. So extended for sure was – um, that was a different level of lost. Uh, just uh, – yeah, and that was a, it was a blessing that I was able to get my swing to a good enough point in June and, and, and start the season in Lansing. But, yeah, that was, that was a tough time. So now, you know, now on to the positives because you've sent me video of your swings. You built that cage in your backyard. You've got a machine thrown at you like 95 miles an hour from 50 feet away, and your swing looks completely different, right? It's quicker. It's shorter the ball. You, what, what are some of the big adjustments that you made? You mentioned timing, timing, timing. And the interesting thing about hitting is it's not cookie cut, right? There's so many different ways you can hit. And some people can hit with like Justin Turner does and have all that movement and all the leg kicks and everything and still be able to time it up well every, every single swing they take. But for you, now you feel better than ever and you haven't even gotten a chance to really leave your backyard. How does that work? Um, yeah, so it's interesting. I, I mean – um, one of the big things uh, that's gone into that is just kind of figuring out um, how my body incorporates to my swing. And that goes along with what you said about how some guys can hit like Justin Turner, or, um, you know, a big leg kick and, and a lot more handsy hitters, you know, Javi Baez. Um, these guys have so many moving parts. It's crazy, but their their bodies are so fluid and, and most likely extremely flexible and mobile that they're able to make these movements and make them work. Um, which is, which is really cool to see, you know, um, but for me, you know, knowing that I'm not that type of guy, um, I'm more in a category that I'm learning is, is um, like a stiff move, stiff moving hitter. So, you know, guys like this um, are like um, guys like Stanton, uh, Nelson Cruz, you know, got big dudes that don't really need a lot of movement to generate power. And they've kind of um, become the epiphany of, of just a short swing that can generate a lot of power because, um, they're just built differently. And, uh, that's kind of where I started to learn that, you know, the hover, um, float front foot load that I was kind of, you know, trying to, to work through, uh, and Lansing just was never going to be, um, a good move for me. And it never was going to be to the point where I could, um, get it consistently timed up every time, you know, it's just never going to work. So, um, one of the first things I did was kind of close off, you know, for the first time, as long as I can remember, honestly, I think I, I was open in high school. Um, for sure. When we played together, I was definitely, um, always had the open stance for as long as I can remember. Um, but yeah, I, I closed off a bit front foot's a bit in front of the back foot. Um, 
and that creates just a great angle to left center, which is the main goal there to try to just get all the energy I want is just inside of the baseball left center. You know, that's where I wanted to hit it every time, basically. Um, and I think, you know, going forward, whenever I, we can play again, um, I think it's you're, you're going to be a, it's going to be a lot different, you know, from people that think they have known me or, or seen me hit um, prior. It's going to look a lot different, um, but I'm excited to, you know, show that whenever whenever the chance may be. And we've been a little hard on you here because, you know, that's that's the way you are and you have high expectations. But you're being humble right now because I know that you're excited to get on the field because you feel like you can absolutely make that Lansing season look like nothing with how much better you feel at the plate. The closed off thing was interesting to me because when John Carlos Stanton was struggling at his most with the Marlins right before his MVP season, he used to be open as well. And he closed himself off. And yeah, he still is always going to have those strikeout issues, but his swing and miss dropped a lot and he started hitting home runs at a ridiculous rate. And that's where we saw the MVP season. I don't think it was a coincidence. It was right after he closed himself off. He also got rid of that toe tap that just wasn't working for him. And with power hitters, you know, you're going to see more off speed pitches, right? And you, that's something that you had to adjust to as the season endured and Lansing with the timing mechanism. Now you've simplified it. Would you say that it makes it easier now to pick up those breaking balls now that you've simplified your timing mechanism with your hands and with your load with your legs? Absolutely. You know, I think that that was the main the main goal was just being able to uh, being able to wait longer to make a decision. And what you're doing by doing that is, um, you know, I'm just trying to gain feet out of the pitcher's hand and I can see the ball because, you know, say last year in Lansing, um, I'm making a decision maybe when it's five feet out of his hand, you know, that's when I had to just to time everything up. That was where my brain had to make a call whether I'm going to swing or not. Um, and now we're just trying to basically move that point back as far as we can. So I can, you know, be picking up information as long as possible before I'd be like, all right, I have to commit to a swing. And something interesting too, that um, I've, you know, dived into my own and uh, Hunter men's too, is just, if you look at um, foul ball numbers and check swing numbers, and then I'll be for, the top league leaders, like the top 10 in those categories are, is just like a ridiculous all-star team of just like, you know, Jose Altuve, you know, Cody Bellinger, Anthony Rendon. Those guys are all up there. Mike Trout, you know, these guys, these are the guys that can hold up their swing at the, at the most, at the highest rate. So, you know, they're, they're seeing the pitch as they're swinging and being able to hold up because they're, you know, they're, they're so late with their start. And um, at the same time, they're able to kind of foul off and spoil really good pitcher pitches and then end up getting a better pitch in the at-bat. So that's kind of um, what I'm basing it off and trying to accomplish, be someone that can make really late decisions, but also still be on time consistently and still be able to kind of ch check the swing at any point. And that'll do it for part one of the Griffin Conine interview. It gets really interesting there. I even hate cutting it off right there because we get deep into that check swing statistic, which I had no idea about even. And it's really crazy how many things that they look at when you're addressing your swing and addressing things that can give you an advantage when striking out is an issue or just when consistent contacts might be an issue. Check swings was never something I would have thought would be a good sign. But clearly, if you're able to hold up, I guess there's two schools of thought. I thought that was pretty interesting there. In part two, that will be out tomorrow. We get into the hitting a little bit more, but then talking a little bit about his father's impact on his game. And Nate Pearson, a one-on-one -on -one at bat against Nate Pearson that he said was probably one of the toughest at-bats he's ever had. Really cool to hear 
Griffin talk about Nate Peterson as he just made his professional debut. A lot more that you won't want to miss in the second half of this two-part episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to follow at Layton 8 on Twitter or at LO underscore MLB prospects to be able to see the video and be able to follow along if you want to get some visualization of everything we're talking about. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.